Okay? I'm glad you're here. Um, the question is, what happens when you hit a wall? Mm. So this is, um, this is something that I think all of us deal with. And, um, and Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, Moses, our teacher, talks about it in, in the most personal way, in uh, Parsha's V.S. Chanan. And it's also coming at a very interesting point in terms of the year and the calendar because Parshas V.S. Chanan, when Moshe Rabbeinu is, is praying, the, it, our, our, our rabbis teach us the, the gematria of V.S. Chanan, which is 515, 515 times to be admitted into the land of Israel. And, and God just says no. But then God says, you know what? If you pray one more time, I'll let you in. I'll have to let you in. But it won't be ultimately for the benefit of the Jewish people. And so Moshe Rabbeinu at that point puts the interests of the Jewish people over his own personal interest and, and, and doesn't pray that extra prayer. Maybe we'll have a chance to go more into what the whole dynamics of that are later. But the, the bigger point here is that we see a rare glimpse of Moshe as an individual. Normally speaking, we see Moshe in two contexts. One is the conduit between heaven and earth. The second is as the leader or the great defender of the Jewish people. But rarely do you glimpse Moshe as just the individual Moshe. And so here you have Moshe beseeching God for a personal need because he, he, wants to, he wants to go into Israel. And of course, any personal need of his because his soul contained all the souls of the Jewish people. So, so even his personal needs are completely connected to the, to the, to the global concern. That's true. But nonetheless, he, he as an individual is, is appealing here right now. Now, there's so much to say on this. There's tons and tons and tons to say about this. But I want to I wanna just direct it into a very particular place right now, which is the flow of the Parshas, especially as they relate to um, this very climactic calendar event, which is Tisha B'Av. And the shift from Tisha B'Av to Tuba'av, the whole dynamics of the month of Av here, and, um, and, 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 and how we're supposed to relate to that in our own life. So, so we know that on Tisha B'Av, so that's a, Tisha B'Av is, it means, Tisha is, is the number nine in Hebrew, so that means literally the ninth of Av, it's a calendar date, but it's, it's more than a calendar date, it's a, it's sort of a big, black hole in time and space in the, in the calendar that uh, has marked just history's just sort of blackest tragedies to the Jewish people, just uh, one after another, just, I don't have to recall them for you, but a, a brief list includes the destruction of the first temple, the destruction of the second temple, the breaking of the first tablets after the sin of the golden calf, the, 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 the crying uh, over going into Israel from the, from the spies, the 40 years of wandering, uh, being decreed and a generation dying out in the desert, the Spanish Inquisition beginning on, on Tisha B'Av, a, a whole kind of, what was it, cart loads in the plural of handwritten Torahs and Torah books, Talmuds, being burned in France 
By the way, if you ever wondered, as, as, as I used to, how could it be that Rashi, we're, we're going to talk God willing, more about Rashi later, Rashi are maybe arguably the, the greatest Torah commentator, how could it be that, where are all the Rashis in France after Rashi? Like, after you have a Rashi, you would imagine, like, let's have another, you know, line of huge French rabbis. And it seems to stop, you know, not, not exactly, but, but the, there's a big break in terms of the chain of greatness in France on the Torah level. Well, they took all of the Torahs, and they took all the Talmuds, and these had to be handwritten back then, and they burned them all. And you know who burned them? King Louis. And have you ever heard of St. Louis? That's St. Louis. <laughs> you know, kind of makes you scratch your head about, you know, what's going on over there. But anyway, um, World War I. You look it up. World War I began on Tisha B'Av. It's insane. And, and, and any historian will tell you that, that, that they never got it together in terms of, like, making a viable peace after World War I. They... They, the Treaty of Versailles basically was so punitive that they bankrupted other nations that they were never able to recover and really make a real peace. So World War I slides right into World War II. They say, this I just heard, but they say that the plan for the final solution, meaning the, 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 the organized mass extermination of the Jews, was plotted and planned on Tisha B'Av. So, so, and there are more events, by the way. There are more events that happen on Tisha B'Av. Um, just to pause for one moment, just how could it be, basically? One of the things that I, a point that I heard raised by a couple of people this past year, which, which is just worth kind of like noting, is that um, in terms of the way science looks at things, science tends to, to think of um, the nature of time as sort of what we would call parv, meaning to say it's, it's not, time is time. You know what I mean? It's not, as, as they say in English, neither fish nor fowl, right? Or by parv, I guess we'd say not milk or meat. <laughs> you know, it's like, time is, time is what time is. The time just kind of happens. It just flows, right? But in Torah, we actually have a different conception of time. Time actually has a personality. The months actually have different personalities. And, and we'll get into more about the personality of Av in, in, in a while, but but all times, all moments are not created equally. And um, maybe we'll just go into that a little bit deeper right now. You see, the sort of Western notion of time is that time is a linear construct, meaning that you've got the past and it's just heading straight into the future. That, that's, that's kind of like the, the Western notion of time. The Torah conception of time is that it actually is an ever-widening spiral. And meaning to say that as it loops around and makes another circle, it crosses over key points that have personalities. So I don't know if um, I can demonstrate this with my hands. I don't know if, if you're listening to this, whether this will come across. But imagine like a, uh, you know, like a cone, like an ice cream cone, basically. But now just now imagine that as a, as a spiral going outwards and outwards and everything like that. Now, there's certain key moments that like our geysers, so to speak, that, that shoot up. So for instance, Pesach, right? Pesach shoots up through time. And every time you circle around and you re-enter those waters or that divine flow, 
you're re-entering that original light of that day. So in other words, when we have holidays and things like that, we're not just commemorating the anniversary of those holidays, we're actually re-entering that day which shoots through time, right? So, so that's an amazing thing. That's why, that's why Shabbos is so awesome. That's why Yantif, the holidays, are so awesome. Because you're actually going to a different place, you know? Like, just in terms of Shabbos, just everyone should know that Shabbos actually is an independent creation in time and space. Like, for instance, the, the piece of imagery that I always think of is if you have, like, a carpet and you roll out a carpet, that carpet rolls out for six days. In other words, the first six days of the week are constructed from the same fabric of time and space. There are variations within it. The days have different character traits and things like that. But more or less, those first six days are a unit. But Shabbos is an independent creation. It's not just the seventh day. It's something else. And so, you know, you have the creation of animals. It's actually, if you look at the, 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 the succession of creations as they're uh, enumerated in the beginning of, of, of Breshis, in the beginning of the Torah, you, you'll see it's, it's actually Darwinian in the sense that the, the creations become more and more evolved. And you have like animals, and then at the end you have man. And then it goes up to woman, right? Because that's one of the main sources that women are more spiritual than men. The fact that they were actually created after men. But then after that, you have Shabbos. And that's the last creation, right? Which that's really the, like the crown of creation is Shabbos itself. So when Shabbos happens, you're actually in another place. So getting back to the idea of time, this idea of time as a linear construct, that it just, there's the past, and then you just kind of point to the future, and that's kind of what it is. It's all kind of the same. That's not the Torah conception. We're walking through different neighborhoods, right? And, and, and we just passed a big milestone on our calendar, which is we just got out of the three weeks, which is like walking through a really bad neighborhood. You know, the, the, the way I, I kind of think of it is, is that one of the reasons why the temple was destroyed and, and we've had so much destruction on, on Tisha B'Av, which is this day with a really, you know, marked personality, right, is because we weren't unified. Now, what happens if you walk through a bad neighborhood with a group of people? What do you do? You have to huddle close, right? That's what you have to do. You have to be unified. So, so the, these, the three weeks, and you know, an amazing thing, this right now, I mean, they're still going back and forth on a ceasefire. This war with Gaza happened right during the three weeks. Amazing thing. And actually, interestingly, the first ceasefire that held was on Tisha B'Av. You know, which, which is also just really striking. Um, because Tisha B'Av, so in other words, the, the point I wanted to make was that how, how incredibly unified the Jewish people were during that time, that we've been during this time, um, especially within Israel, you know, just really together. And it's, it's so important because when you go through, like I say, a dangerous place, everyone's got to have each other's back and be huddled close. And so, so we've gotten through that thing. Now, now comes 
after Tishabav comes Parshas V.S. Hanan. Now, again, this is Moshe hitting a wall and asking to go into Israel. Now, let's contextualize this and go a little bit deeper right now. Because Tishabav has a really interesting dynamic to it, which is, on the one hand, it's, it's, it's this kind of this, this, mark, this day marked by doom, right? We've just seen horrible stuff over the years. On the other hand, we have this amazing teaching which says that Mashiach is born on Tisha B'av. Wow. So we see that the core aspect of the day of Tisha B'av is actually a day of tremendous light. And in fact, the prophet Zechariah promises us that Tisha B'av, as well as the 17th of Tammuz, the beginning of the, the beginning of the three weeks, will be days that are going to become holidays. And in fact, this is like really kind of mind-bending, you know? On Tisha B'av itself, we, even though we're fasting, even though we're crying, even though we're mourning, we have one little glimmer of the fact that it's absolutely alpi halacha, according to halacha, still considered a holiday. In other words, it's not just that, um, and I'll tell you what that is in a moment, we don't say tachun, I'll explain that in a second, but it's a special prayer that isn't said on festive holidays, right? So on a normal day, you would say tachanun, um, which is a, a prayer where you fall down and you press your head down on, on, the, on your arm and you sort of basically, that's a way of prostrating yourself. You're basically just laying out and saying, just God, you know, I'm, I'm just, please, I'm, I'm just, I'm at, I'm at my end, basically. And um, we don't do that. We don't do that on holidays. So what's so interesting about not doing that on Tisha B'Av till this day is that we don't just say Mashiach is coming and we're trying to stay in a positive space and everything like that. According to the halacha itself, which defines reality, we're saying, no, today actually is a holiday right now. It's not some conceptual thing that it's coming in the future. But actually, right now, it is al-pi halacha, according to Jewish law, a holiday, and we, we can't say tachanun if it's a Jewish holiday. So again, we're not there yet. But you see that, that halachically, the, the temples have been, have been put down, the foundation has been put down even today, even in the exile today, for the true reality of the day, which is the fact that it's a holiday. Okay. But now... I want to go deeper still, which is, you know, if you've been learning Torah over the years and everything like that, you, you know what I just told you. You know, you, you know all this already. And, and so the question is, you see, there's certain, there's certain milestones in the calendar where you're forced to confront certain things, right? Like, what happens in on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? A person has to come face-to-face -face with their own limitations. A person has to say, you know what? I can be doing more, or why am I, why am I doing less? Or what's wrong with me? Why, what? I've got to fix that. A person is put face-to-face with their own limitations, 
And then God asks you, how are you going to react? What are you going to do? Are you going to run? Are you going to deny it? Are you going to make excuses? How are you going to react when you're confronted with your own limitations? Right? That's, that's one milestone in the year. Another milestone in the year is Tisha B'Av, when we say, you know what? We're still in exile. Mashiach still isn't here. And according to, according to where you're at, that can be an absolutely devastating, devastating day. Because you're working all year. You know there are millions of people working so hard to fix the world. Everyone's trying so hard. And then all of a sudden, it's sort of like, boom, you hit a brick wall. And you go, what's going on? Is it ever going to happen? Is it even real? Is the promise of it even real? You can ask yourselves all sorts of questions, depending on how depressed you allow yourself to get. And so with that in mind, now let's revisit what's going on the first Shabbos every single year. This is one of these Parshas that's fixed on the calendar. The first Parsha every single year, Tisha B'Av comes, Mashiach is in here, and what are we reading about? Moshe Rabbeinu saying, Moshe Rabbeinu hitting a brick wall. Right? I mean, do you hear how personal that is? And saying, I can't get into the land of Israel. I'm praying 515 times. By the way, V'es Hanan, not only is it gematria 515, but 515 is the gematria of the word tefillah. Right? And the Vilna Gon says he prayed 515 different prayers. Right? That's a, that's a challenge to us. A lot of times we're praying for a particular thing. But challenge yourself to daven a different way every single time. Right? That, 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 that's, that will keep your prayers alive and fresh. Right? And I'll tell you something else. If you, if you can't come up with the words or a new argument or a new way of phrasing it, then don't say anything. Just pause in silence and say, Hashem, silence is your praise. That's a phrase from the, that's a phrase from the, from the Psalms, from Tehillim. Silence is your praise. In other words, God, you know what's going on in my heart right now. So this time I'll phrase it by not phrasing it. So, so how, do we, how do we deal with the fact that Mashiach isn't here yet? How do, how, how do you deal with it? So, so I want to tell you two things. I want to tell you a classic Torah from Reb Leibla Eger, and then I want to tell you uh, something from Rashi. And uh, let's start with Reb Leibla Eger. A very, I think, very uh, empowering Torah uh, that that uh, that I always go back to, you know. So, so Reb Eger points out that every single year, right after Tisha B'av, we read Parshas V'yas Hanan, as I mentioned, and Parshas V'yas Hanan is very interesting in that it contains the the, the giving of the Torah. The giving of the Torah appears two times in the Torah itself, in the five books. 
The first time, of course, is Parshas Yisra. And the second time is Parshas Yeschana. So, so Reb Leibola Eger says, you know, it's very, very significant that we're receiving the Torah anew after Tisha B'av. Right after Tisha B'av. Like the first moment after Tisha B'av, God is giving us the Torah again. Why? So he says the following. He says that the Jewish people, after they worshipped the golden calf, had like a big crisis. Because when Moshe smashed the tablets, when he smashed the luchos, on the luchos, the first thing that it said was, Ani, uh, Anochi Hashem I am, I am God, your God. And after the tablets were smashed, the Jewish people wondered, is God still our God? Right? And then God forgives us, and then Moshe goes up, and on the first day of Elul, right? Moshe gets the second tablets again. And then he comes down with them 40 days after that on Yom Kippur. That's why Yom Kippur is Yom Kippur. Because Moshe came down with the second tablets, which showed forgiveness. Okay, that's the root of Yom Kippur. Actually, it goes back to the first day of creation, but that's, this is good also for now. So, so when the Jewish people got the second tablets... And it said exactly what it said on the first tablets, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am God, your God. Then we knew that this covenant between us and God wasn't broken and could never be broken. That, that's, that was amazing. So Reb Leibel Eger says something amazing. He says, after Tisha B'av, and all the horrible destruction and killing and, and awfulness that's happened throughout history on this day. And all the trauma that all of us have gone in our own personal lives. You might ask yourself, is God still my God? Has God abandoned me? Is God still with me? And so the first thing that happens after Tisha B'av is God gives you the Torah again with the words, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am God your God. So that you should know that no matter what you go through, no matter what we've gone through throughout history, God has never broken the covenant with us and God has never and will never abandon us. It's an, it's an, amazing, it's an amazing teaching. It's an amazing teaching. And again, know that the rabbis fixed the calendar in an amazing way in terms of the dates and the parshas that, that happened. You know, it's a very organic, beautiful thing. And certain things slide, and certain things don't slide. And one of the things that never slides is the fact that we get the Torah again right after Tisha B'av. Okay. So this is, this feels good to know that, okay, God, you're, you're, you're still with me. Um, but, how am I supposed to feel? Another Tisha B'Av is gone and, the, and Mashiach is in here. How am I supposed to feel? I feel depressed. I feel abandoned. That these are my emotions talking. One of the things that I grew up with my father, who was a psychologist, Allah Shalom, would say all the time, is that you can't intellectualize an emotion. You know what that means? That means if you feel a certain way, you can't kind of try to think your way out of it. If you feel that way, you feel that way. So you have to acknowledge the way that you feel. 
Don't just try to deny how you feel. If you feel a certain way, there's a certain reality to that, and you have to acknowledge it. You can't just pretend to think it away. Then, then once you acknowledge it, you can try to work through it. But don't just try to make it disappear with thoughts, because that doesn't really work. First, acknowledge your emotion. So if, if, if a person is depressed after Tisha B'av, why are they depressed? What are the, I'll be fancy, psycho-spiritual dynamics going on? Right? What, what is going on? So, so, so there's an element of disbelief going on, right? Like, is it ever going to happen? Maybe it's never going to happen. Right? Let's be honest. Right? What, what, what are we feeling? Frustration. Frustration. Abandonment. All these things. So, so now, listen to this teaching from Rashi. Again, an amazing teaching. And for me, this is a very healing teaching. Okay? So Rashi is writing either, I'm not sure exactly, in the 1100s or the 1200s. Okay? And, uh, and there's, you know, have we, I don't know if we've ever had a, a teacher like Rashi. You know, Rashi is explaining everything. So, so let's look at Rashi's very first comment on the very first word of the Torah. Right? So, like, okay, if Rashi is the indispensable commentator on the five books, right? And, and there's a, I, there's a, it's said, I, I, I can't tell you, is it true, is it not true? I don't know. But it's said that the Vilna Gon, who knew everything, basically, you know? The, the, the Vilna Gon, like, toward the end of his life, basically just did Chumash with Rashi. I mean, he was like the master of all of halacha, the master of the entire Talmud. And they say that at, toward the end of his life, he just did Chumash and Rashi, which is something that they say young children do. But can you imagine what Rashi is if at the culmination of all of his studies, he was just like, I'm just doing Chumash and Rashi. Okay, and again, is it true, is it not true? It doesn't matter. The fact that it's said is, is the important thing. You know? So, so, wouldn't it be good to look at the very first Rashi on the Chumash? Chumash means the five books, right? Chamesh means five. So, 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 let's look at what he says. The first thing that he says, which is just awesome, is he quotes Rabbeinu Yitzchak. So, people want to know, like, or maybe they don't even think. Who's Rabbeinu Yitzchak? So, that's his father. So, you know, it, 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 I get very emotional when I, when I think about that. The very first thing he wants to do is give cover to his father. Right? He's quoting the Talmud left and right. He's quoting the Medrash left and right. He's quoting Moshe Darshan left and right. The Tachum, the Tanchuma, the Sifri, left and right. But, so, it's not like he couldn't find another person to quote. So he begins his entire exercise by honoring his father. Okay? So that's a, that's a lesson to us. So um, we're going to talk about honoring your mother in a second. Um, but anyway, let's get through this thought first. So 
So he asks a question, which is, you know, I haven't told this story in a while, but I have told it about eight dozen times. <laughs> but it's appropriate, so I'll tell it again. Which is, which is, the question is, what, what, what is the Torah? You know? And so I, I, I attended uh, Israelite, or the beginning of Israelite anyway, many years ago. And I had been learning for a little while before, but it's very sort of philosophically oriented. And so really, whatever level you're at, you can, you can learn a lot. Rabbi Aaron is amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, so I attended, I was, was in the old city in Jerusalem, and you know, I'm in this room with some people and everything like that. And it's, this is the first session. And Rabbi Aaron's standing before a blackboard, and he starts it off with, what's the Torah? So someone raises their hand and says, a book of laws. He goes, great. And he writes down a book of laws. And then someone else says, a book of history. He goes, great. He writes down a book of history. And I raise my hand. He says, go ahead. And I said, it's the infinite compressed into the finite. And he says, okay, let's hold off on that for a while. <laughs> so, so anyway, there is a, a, very, a very understandable uh, very understandable way of looking at the Torah as a, a book of laws. If that's the case, Rashi's very first question is, why doesn't the Torah begin? Why is the Torah beginning about God creating the world? Let the Torah begin with the first mitzvah that was given to the Jewish people, which is to make a calendar. Now, by the way, you want to hear something really cool? Breshis means, it's translated famously as in the beginning, Right? See, I heard Rabbi Tatz point out something very cool. When you hear the word beginning, beginning implies middle and end, which is telling you from the very, very first word of the Torah, which we know is the blueprint of reality, from the very first word of the Torah, we're being told that there is a process at work. This is just the beginning. There's going to be a middle and there's going to be an end as well. See, a lot of us, Again, we talk about it all the time, but a lot of us think, we wonder if there's a God and God's good, why is the world so messed up? Because there's a process taking place and we're partners with God in terms of realizing the perfection of the world together. We're in the middle of a process. And the very first word suggests that in the beginning. Beginning implies middle and end. But even even more than that, beginning means the creation of time itself. You see, this is a very advanced, amazing thought because modern physics only recently has recognized the fact that time is a construct. See, you, you could, we, we were saying, with the word brachis, God created time. It's not time is not just this invisible thing that's just there. It's an actual creation. And Brachis marks the creation of this construct called time. Now listen to this. Rashi is asking, why don't we begin with the first mitzvah that was given to the Jewish people, which was what? To create a calendar, which is what? The marking of time. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this amazing? So in both instances, what you have here is an introduction to a very key aspect of the world and the human condition, which is to exist 
within time. And I've mentioned to you before this, this, this review that I read of the pilot to Deep Space Nine, the, the Star Trek uh, spinoff, which had aliens talking with the crew of the Enterprise, and the aliens were outside of time. And they were talking with us human beings on the ship, and they were saying, oh, it must be so interesting to not know what's going to happen next. <laughs> I mean, is there a more definitive sort of summation of the human condition than not knowing what's going to happen next. And this is one of the mitzvahs of the Torah, is not to consult fortune tellers. Don't go to psychics. Don't get your palm read. Don't go to astrologers. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because what God wants us, God doesn't want us to know what's going to happen next. And that's an essential aspect of our relationship with God, to be in that amuna place, in that, that place of belief, right? So, so now let's, let's get back into that Rashi. So again, don't you want to know the very first thing that, that Rashi says on, 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 on the five books, on the Torah itself? So he says something very, very surprising, very, very surprising. And again, let's just reset we're trying to figure out, we're trying to figure out how am I supposed to respond to another Tish above coming and Mashiach not being here, right? This is what we're discussing. So let's get back into this Rashi. So Rashi says, he wants to answer this question that he's raising in the name of his father. Why is it that the Torah doesn't begin with the first mitzvah of the Torah, the first commandment of the Torah? Why is it beginning with the narrative account of God's creating the world? Right? So then Rashi says the following. Unbelievable. He says, because the Jewish people, when they go into the land of Israel, the other nations are going to say, you stole this land from us. Like basically you're a bunch of gangsters. You stole this land from us. And so the Torah begins with the creation of the world, God's creation of the world, in order to tell all the nations of the world the following. God, who created the world, the entire world belongs to God. And he can do with the land of Israel whatever he wants to do with it. And if he wants to give it to us, it's his right as the creator and master of the universe to give it to us. Now, that's so surprising that that should be the very first thing that the Torah should say. The very first thing that the Torah should say. It's so surprising. But let me just, let's go deeper though, because it's way more surprising when you actually think more, 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 more deeply about it. Listen, Rashi is writing this a thousand years after we've been exiled from the land of Israel. Do you understand that? Do, do, let's, let's make sure that we're all communicating right now. We've been wandering around from nation to nation for a thousand years. 
a thousand years at this point. And Rashi writes down, you know, we're going to go into the land of Israel and we're going to establish, you know, our country there. And then the other nations of the world are going to say, you stole this land from us. Is, do you hear any question in his mind whether these promises that we're going to return to the land are being, will be fulfilled? He's writing it down as just the most basic statement of fact that this is what's going to be. But it's a thousand years later. Now, you ready for something even as or more amazing? It doesn't happen for another thousand years. <laughs> so you've got a 2,000 year span over here and Rashi's writing this comment at the bottom of the bottom, in the middle of a thousand years of wandering, when we're not going to actually get into the land for another thousand years. Now, how are people learning that Rashi for the thousand years? They were going, oh, I, I guess we're going to go into the land of Israel, and I guess the nations are going to say to us, you stole this land from us. I mean, that's first Rashi, right? I guess, right? That's what it says. And now, you know, it, it must have seemed like the most far-flung science fiction, right? Improbable. Remember, one of the great stories, if you ever get depressed, think about this story, okay? Theodore Herzl, when he's trying to establish, you know, the state of Israel, tries for, I think it was years, to get an audience with the Kaiser, right, the king of Germany. Remember, Israel at that point was, was sort of like owned by three different great empires. The English Empire, the Ottoman Empire, and the German Empire. Okay, three empires, like we're all clutching the land. And Herzl finally gets an audience with a Kaiser. And the Kaiser, I learned this from Rabbi Wine, the Kaiser says to him the following, you should know that the only way that this is ever going to happen, that the Jewish people are going to get sovereignty of this land, is if all three of these empires fall apart and collapse. <laughs> Meaning to say, it's never ever going to happen. It's absolutely impossible. Three empires collapse simultaneously? It's never going to happen. And what happens? It happens. And what happens? The land of Israel gets formed. And what happens? The nations of the world come and say, you stole this from us. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that this Rashi, that you look at it now and it's like you're reading the newspaper. So, why am I telling you? Because it's big. <laughs> it's big. The time spans are big. When we talk about Mashiach, this is, we're talking about epic stuff. This is epic. I mean, you talk about the signs and wonders of God taking us out of Egypt. They say when Mashiach comes, we're going to forget about that. This is going to be so much bigger. I mean, 
we're talking about we're talking about another era that's going to take place and it's coming but we're talking about a scale and a scope which is huge you know one of the most humbling but beyond humbling like you know words for me from the prophets are the lines when God says my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways see we think of God as a bigger stronger version of us God is beyond, 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 beyond. You know, I heard Reb Shlomo say so many times, why are you making God so small? Stop making God so small. So now I want to add another thing. This is my own thought, but it just kind of spoke to me, you know? So after Tishabab, going kind of in in following in the in the in the flow, God willing, of Reb Leibla Eger, we're getting in the Torah again. And everybody knows that when we get the Torah the second time, when it's when it's given to us in Parshas Vies Chanan, there are tiny little differences in terms of the phraseology. It's the same Torah, same mitzvahs. Same Hashem, everything's the same, but nonetheless, there's certain variations in the way some of the thoughts are presented. And the rabbis learn great things from that because God in his infinity, remember the Torah is the infinite compact into the finite. So sometimes little changes are made in order to elucidate very, very great, amazing ideas. So interestingly, one of the differences between the way the uh, Ten Commandments are given the first time, and the second time is the Fifth Commandment. Fifth Commandment is honoring your parents. So the first time that we get it, it says, honor your father and your mother. The second time we get it, it says, honor your mother and your father. The mother comes first the second time. Okay, so we learn different things about that, beautiful things. Not for now. I want to make another point. After Tishbev, if Mashiach isn't here yet, a person has to make sure that they're not smarter than God and that they don't think that they know more than God knows. God, who created the world out of nothingness, who created us out of nothingness, that we should never get to this place where we think we quote-unquote know. Because there's a, there's a stench of arrogance to that. And a lot of the negative thoughts, a lot of the depression, a lot of the frustration comes from that stench of arrogance. That's the root of it. Thinking that we know. And when we think about that Rashi that I just communicated to you, and we hear this, the epic scale of that, that he's writing it after, about our return to Israel, a thousand years after we've been exiled from Israel. And we're not getting in for another thousand years. 
right? We get a better idea of the entire scope of this. And now listen to this. We get the Torah anew again because there's a new beginning that's happening now after Tisha B'Av. There's a new beginning. There's a new energy that's coming into the world. Tonight is Tu B'Av. The Talmud calls this one of the two happiest days of the entire year. Right? That and, and Yom Kippur. Sometimes people think of Yom Kippur as a sad day, right? Yom Kippur is a, a, a tremendously happy day because we're being forgiven. Right? So, so Tuba Av is all of a sudden, wow, this amazing shift right away almost into positivity. It's a very beautiful divine flow coming down. You know, great energy coming down right now. So I want to say the following. Remember, we're getting the Ten Commandments again. The Ten Commandments parallel the Ten Sphirot. The Ten Sphirot is that construct that we talk about the creation of the world in. In other words, we're coming into this place of a renewed creation that's coming again. And now with this in mind, I want to say the following. Isn't it interesting that in this new phrasing of the Torah, it says, honor your mother and your father that the mother is being given primary attention right now. And I want to say the following. I want to suggest the following. Because when we talk about the mother right now, we're talking about giving birth. That's what a mother is. It says mother. It doesn't say woman. It says mother. Right? We're talking about giving birth. And the gestation period for giving birth is not short. It isn't short. And when we talk about Mashiach coming, we talk about it in terms of the birth pangs of Mashiach. We talk about it in the context of a woman's labor and the birthing process. And we should know that that process is not a short process. Bless you. It isn't. And so again, to allow ourselves after Tisha B'av, to say, okay, you know something? It's bigger. It's bigger than this. But it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Remember, all of the universe is likened to the birthing process. The, the concept of tzimtzum is, is that God took his infinite light before the world was created. This is the sort of the Kabbalistic account of the creation of the world. And again, these, this bit of imagery, don't, don't take it too literally, because the, the rabbis are just trying to communicate incredibly esoteric thoughts to us. So they give us imagery so that we can pin our mind on something, but don't take it too literally. So, so the idea is you have the God's infinite light, and then he makes a space for himself within his light. And that's, con- that's compared to the womb, right? So that this whole world is like situated in, in, this, in this womb space, so to speak. And so interestingly, rachamim, which means mercy, which means just this incredible chesed and kindness, has as its root rechem, which means womb, right? And the Maharal says that contains the letters Machar, which means tomorrow. Meaning this whole concept of kindness and tomorrow and the future and hope 
and birth, they're all tied together. I want to finish with uh, an amazing thought that uh, was emailed to me by uh, Neely Salem, uh, Basimcha, formerly Salem. So I'm grateful to Neely for this. So, so last week I talked about this idea of Breshis, that Breshis, that God didn't just speak the world into creation, he sang the world into creation, says Reb Shlomo. So where do you see it? So the Tekune Zohar says that Breshis, if you rearrange, rearrange the letters of Breshis, which again is means with beginnings or in the beginning, right? If you rearrange the letters, it spells out Shiras Olive Bays, the song of the Olive Bays. And of course, our mystical tradition teaches us that God took the energies of the Hebrew letters and combined them and made the world, right? So that's Shiras Olive Bays. But Neely says the following, that that Breshis can also be rearranged to say Shiras Av, because Olive Base spells Av. So in other words, that creation can be also read as the song of the month of Av. Mm. And how so? How so? Because what's Av about? And you can even boil it down to Tisha B'Av itself. It's about going from exile to redemption. Right? That's the whole month of Av, going from exile to redemption. So Hashem should bless us that really we should only see good things. Amen. And that we shouldn't get to this place where we've decided what it really is. You know, I've decided very intellectually to give up hope. <laughs> I didn't just rush to that conclusion. I really gave it a lot of thought. And I've decided that that really makes the most sense. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you something. I read this, uh, and I've heard it so many times, but it never stuck in my head. And then I read it, and I was like, whoa, this Bob Dylan lyric, which is so good. It's uh, from this song, Back Pages, right? And it goes like this. Ah, I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. You hear it? I'll say it again. Ah, I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. You hear, it's a brilliant lyric. You know what it is? We reach certain points in our life where we get really old. You know, I'm not talking about in terms of our age or physicality. In terms of our thinking. When you give up, you get old fast. You know, you can have a young body and be like a 90-year-old, you know? You know, so, but... It doesn't have to last. Ah, I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. You can get young again. <laughs> How do you get young again? By realizing, you know, what do I know? What do I know? What do I know? Look how epic this entire enterprise is. And I'm just so lucky to be a part of it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. When you pray in nature, I think, Kyle, what was the quote? The blades of grass. I think Jonathan says it, like when you have it in a forest or in nature, that all the leaves and trees and all the nature stays with you. Yeah, beautiful. I wonder if you could expound that from your own thoughts. Well, it says that there's an angel assigned, a separate angel assigned to each blade of grass urging it to grow, Mm -hmm. which is 
that's, you know, if you want to get a scope of what the correlation is from the physical realm to the spiritual realm, the idea that each blade of grass has its own separate angel assigning it to grow. I mean, God could have made one angel in charge of grass, right? The idea that each blade, you know, if you want to know, did God forget about you? Every blade of grass has a separate angel. Can you imagine? That's how much respect he has for each element of his creation. So a human being, which is like created in the image of God, and we have all ten sphere out within us, and and a shama, and like, you know how much God has invested in every single one of us? It's beyond. So, yeah, I mean, it's sort of like, I mean, I, 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 I don't know if I'm, just as a reaction, I, this isn't a very learned response, but just as a reaction to what you're saying, I think that, that, that um, you know, when you're on the same page, and you're davening to the God who's, who's made all of this, and who's guiding all of this, then all of those spiritual forces recognize that you're sort of leading the charge and they all unite with you and rise up together. You know, that's what it would seem. Yeah. A secondary follow-up question is uh, the burning bush. Yeah. Um, it seems to be such a, uh, an incredible moment in our history. And uh, I guess sometimes the way you share moments, it provides different gateways of understanding. So I was hoping you'd just for maybe 30 seconds or a minute explain your vision or understanding of what actually happened at that, the burning bush. Well, just, some, just a, a few quick highlights on it. One is it took seven days. Oh, wow. Okay? You read it and it seems like it was fast. Moshe argued with Hashem, says the Talmud, for seven days. Not to, not to lead the Jews out of Israel. Why? So I heard because Moshe wanted it to be the final redemption and God was telling him, this isn't going to be the final redemption. Okay, but then Moshe eventually says yes. And God says, okay, but there was a price for this, Moshe. You're not going to be the Kohen Gadol. They also learned that from that, that, that Moshe, that, that, that there was the, the high priest, it's going to go to your brother. That was one of the, that it, Moshe didn't, leave unscathed from that exchange. That's one thing. Another thing is the Kutzka Rebbe teaches that a lot of people saw the burning bush. Moshe is the only one who stopped to investigate. That's, a, that's another amazing thing. Another thing is that the burning bush was at Mount Sinai. A lot of people don't realize that. That was right at the foot of Mount Sinai. So, and, and God says to him, you're going to come back here with the whole Jewish people. So it's just, he's just wandering alone in the desert. And how did he find the burning bush? Because he was running after one of his animals. You know, in other words, it, just care and everything like that. So, so the gateway to redemption was just, just caring about another creation, right? Another teaching about their burning bush is that Moshe steps up to the burning bush and then God says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. So the question is, why did God wait till he was doing something wrong to tell him to take off his shoes? In other words, say, Moshe, take off your shoes, you're about to step onto holy ground. Then, then Moshe's cool, right? Then he's stepping on the ground and he's not doing anything wrong. Here it's, Moshe steps there and God says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. So I heard from the uh, 
the Mashkiach of Lakewood, Rabbi Solomon, the spiritual head of Lakewood, Yeshiva, that it wasn't holy until Moshe stepped on it. In other words, the process of investigating truth transforms something into holiness. That the fact that Moshe was like, what's going on? I need to know more. I need to know better. I need to know the truth. That's what made it into holy ground. So after he stepped on it, then God says, okay, now the ground's holy. Now you've got to take off your shoes. Another thing is that the word for shoes and um, foot, your, the, 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 it uses the word for foot. That's regal. Regal also means a habit. So God is telling him, get out of your habits. In other words, a lot of times we don't see God in front of our face because we fall into certain habitual forms of thinking. And we really have to expand our consciousness. And once we do that, then that lets God in. So that's a, those are a few teachings anyway. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Yeah.